Good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you this morning. God has been amazing. He is always so good, always wonderful in everything he does. And so he's been great to us. I want you to take a moment and just give God thanks for all that he's done for you. God, we thank you that you have kept us. You have preserved us. You have anointed us. You've called us. We thank you that you saved us before we ever knew you. You knew us. You loved us with an everlasting love. You drew us with your loving kindness. So Lord, we bless your name today. I want to thank you, Lord, for all those that have found this stream, all those that have gathered, have intentionally gathered this morning because we are your church. And so we've gathered to be together. We've gathered to worship you. We've gathered to hear your word and receive it. And in Jesus' name, I pray that every word that proceeds from my mouth would not be my words, but your words, Lord, that you would set your word in our hearts, that you'd cause it to bear, uh, to, to cause roots to go down down into our hearts and to bear much fruit in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I know it's already been so good, but we're going to dig into the word today and we're going to continue along what we've been talking about uh, the last uh, few weeks that I've been ministering, which is talking about the future and how you can have hope for the future. And and today I, I want to talk about something specific because last time I had the opportunity to preach, and thank God, last week with Pastor Tia was awesome. The Mother's Day message was so good, and it flowed right along with what we've been talking about. But going back to a couple weeks ago, the last time I was able to speak to you on this topic, we, we talked about walking in the light, about Jesus being the light, and, and all who follow him will have the light of life. How you don't have to be afraid of the future because Jesus is leading you into the future. You don't have to romantically long for the past because the past is not your future. The past is a season that's gone. God is calling you to look forward, forget what lies behind and press in, lean forward into what lies ahead. And so we talked about that on an individual level. You have the light of life. But now I wanna talk to you about the bigger picture. I want to talk to you about walking in the light as a church and and looking forward to the future as a church. I know that not everybody tuned in this morning is a member of this church. You may not even know really who Jesus is. You may have found this or been invited and you're curious and you're seeking this out. And, And I know that God's got something. If you'll dig in and you'll open your heart, God's got something for you. But this morning, I really want to talk to the church. I really want to talk specifically to the word church this morning. I, and if you're a guest, you're going to get something out of this too. But word church, I want you to pay attention because we're going to talk about our future. We're going to talk about what's ahead in the next few months. We're going to talk about what's ahead in the next years or however long we are here on this planet. That's what we're going to talk about. I want you to know that God holds the future. He has already prepared something for us. Now, just because he prepared it for you doesn't mean you'll necessarily walk in it. You know, the Bible tells us that we must walk in a certain manner, that there, there is a way to follow and obey, that you walk in the plans that God has laid out for you. The Bible says that God said to his people uh, in the Old Testament, I set before you life and death. I set before you blessing and cursing. Choose life. So today, God is asking you to choose his way. 
And I want to give you some hope this morning that, that our future is, is in Him. Our future is full of light when we're following Jesus. So as a church, it's important that we're not uh, just going each and every direction, but that we have some focus here, that we, we have something that unites us, that we know that we've been called together for such a time as this. You know, there's a lot of questions about what church will look like. What, what will the gatherings look like in the next few months as, as things slowly begin to ease up on restrictions? Uh, we know that it's not a light switch that all of a sudden, you know, you go from not meeting together to all of a sudden uh, having a large gathering where everybody's just hugging and kissing and, and licking the same lollipop. That, that may not happen all at once because it's not a light switch that just turns off. But I do believe this. I believe God is at work right now preparing our future for us and it is good even when the world is dark even when the world is in confusion even when the world is in frustration the church continues following our shepherd whether it's through the valley of the shadow of death or whether it's in the still waters and the quiet pastures our eyes are fixed on Jesus you know um with all of that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of us that are saying, you know, seeking the Lord and and praying about what it looks like, and 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 uh, there's a question of when will things go back to normal. Well, we talked about this before. We're not looking for normal. We're looking for what God has for us next. And I believe that the new normal, if I can use that phrase, the new normal is not anything we've seen before. In fact, the new normal is probably not going to feel normal. The new normal is going to be a church that is so full of the Spirit that no matter what happens on the outside, we are moving with Him. We are flexible, not, not, not bending to the world, but, but flexible and moving with the Spirit of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you'll know those who are the, the, the sons and daughters of the Spirit. You'll know those who are born of the Spirit because you don't know where they're coming from and you don't know where they're going. They're like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. Well, God knows. And those that are tuned into His Spirit will have an awareness of the times and the seasons. And we're going to walk this through together. Because I don't believe that we've been called to just go each and every direction by ourselves. I believe God is uniting us together. I want to read you something from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, you know, when Stephen was put to death for his, his faith and for what he preached, he preached a powerful message. In fact, Stephen was accused of blaspheming Moses and the law and blaspheming the temple. And he spends a, a whole chapter preaching a message that, that at first when you read it just sounds like he's giving a giant Bible history lesson. He goes back to Moses and he goes through all these instances. He goes even before Moses, goes to Joseph and, and, these, the, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he begins to talk about God using and moving through the patriarchs and God mo- using these great men and women of faith and, 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 and he talks about how God was never restricted to a place. You see, Stephen was being accused of blaspheming the temple of God. But Stephen, number one, was being falsely accused. He, he never blasphemed the temple. But number two, he begins to describe to them that God has never been restricted to a temple, that he has always been with his people, and that when Abraham was in a foreign land, God was with him. When Joseph was in Egypt, God was with him. And when the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, God was with them. God does not forsake his people and God is not restricted to a place. You know, maybe you've heard in the past little bit, somebody say, you know, it's not fair that the churches are closed. 
I understand what they mean. I, I share your frustration sometimes because look at me. Hey, look, 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 look at me. I am a pastor. A pastor loves preaching to people. I love looking you in the eye. I love seeing your faces. I love hearing your voices. I love the high fives and the hugs. I, I miss that. But beyond my own things that I miss. So don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not saying, boy, I, I'm just loving preaching to a camera. No, I miss you. I miss those gatherings. But we must not give into a worldly or natural frustration. Instead, we have to hear what is the Spirit saying right now. Because I know what I'm feeling, but I want to know what the Spirit is saying. And so when people say, it's not fair that the churches are closed, you've made two major, major problems, major um, Uh, mistakes in your interpretation of what church is. Let me tell you your first one. First of all, the church is not a place. So when you say, I can't go to church, I understand what you mean. I I treasure the gathering of saints. But when you say, I can't go to church, the church is closed. Number one, you're saying church is a location. And number two, you're saying they could close it down. The church has not closed throughout all these months we've been in, in quarantine or isolation. The church has not closed. The church has been uh, uh, building itself up in love. The church has been giving. The church has been praying. People are getting born again. The gospel is being preached. Church cannot be closed. The devil wishes he could close the church. He can't close the church. Does that mean I, 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 I don't care and, and it doesn't matter to me when, when we can get back in a building? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying you need to adjust your terminology and understand that no one could close the church of Jesus Christ. And the only time it feels like we're closed is when we don't continue the things that God has already called us to. You know, it, 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 when this all happened and, and we had to uh, find new ways to connect, it was important that we remembered what the church was. The church is a body made up of different parts. And so we understand that uh, a part of those parts working together is the gathering. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but keep on encouraging one another even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So how do we do that? We had to ask ourselves back in March, how do we do that if we can't be in a building? Well, those that believed in the mission found a way. We found a way to connect. We found a way to encourage one another. Groups were meeting online. Prayer meetings were happening online. We've been having powerful answers to prayer in those prayer meetings. We've had people get saved in our meetings. We've had uh, um, uh, uh, wonderful things come out of the home groups and the men's group and the ladies group and, and all of these times that we've been gathering together because we believed in the mission of the church. Jesus said this, upon this rock, I will build my church, the rock of revelation, the rock of the revelation of him him as the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church, he says, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So no, no thing that could ever arise to stop the church can prevail against the church. But the question is, have we stayed connected to Christ's mission? Have we stayed connected to his body? Have we stayed connected to the head? Because if we've stayed connected, the church can never be shut down. The church can never be destroyed. When the church was new in the book of Acts, the church exploded in the city of Jerusalem. 
which is ironic because the city of Jerusalem was the one place that the, the, the disciples were afraid to go before Jesus was crucified. And after Jesus was crucified, they were locked down. They were locked in their homes. They were afraid to leave. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the church. And this is the beginning. This is what we see as the beginning of the church, the day of Pentecost, when what happened in the upper room spread out into the streets and there was a great revival in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that after Peter's first message, 3,000 people were born again. Later, there was another message that Peter and John had the opportunity to preach and 5,000 got born again. And the Bible tells us that more and more kept getting added to their number daily. I mean, they went from a gathering of 120 in a room to thousands. Can you ask yourself the question, how did they know what to do? You might say, well, Jesus taught them. But I want to ask you, yes, I believe you. Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit led them through it. But, but listen, when they walked with Jesus on the earth, they didn't have thousands of people in a church. There was no church when Jesus walked the earth. There, there were the disciples, there were the, the, the 12, the 70, there were, there were others that followed, there were the multitudes, but there was no such thing as the church until Jesus instituted it after his resurrection. There, there was no sense of organization. And there weren't thousands of people that were, baptized into Christ until they were in this moment and they had to figure out how do we do this how would we do this we've never done this before and I want to tell you how did they do it well they had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit led them through it all they learned how to organize you know they they learned how to feed and make sure that the needs were being met in fact when they ran across an issue where not everybody's needs were being met, that, that the Jewish people, uh, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, their needs were being met, but the Greek-speaking Jews were not having the same, they were not being touched in the same way. Their widows were being overlooked. They adjusted. The Holy Spirit gave them a plan, and they set seven men that would oversee this because they said, you know, we've got to d- dedicate ourselves to the Word and to prayer. And so they set these seven guys as, as, as being in charge of the feeding of, of, of all these people fairly. You see, God was showing them how to do what they were meant to do, what they were called to do in a new construct, in a new uh, context, in a new environment, in new cities. Jesus had told them in the beginning of Acts, that they should preach the gospel in Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But the problem was when they got to Jerusalem, they got real comfortable with a nice big group of people in Jerusalem. So they stayed in Jerusalem. Then one of those seven guys got himself in trouble, Stephen. He preached the gospel and made some people mad. So he preached that message I told you about. And the response was a man named Saul was so pricked to the heart, so poked by the Spirit of God and conviction that he got angry and kicked against the goads. He kicked against the Holy Spirit's prodding and he began to persecute the church. And the Bible tells us that when they were persecuted, the church scattered except for the apostles. Most of the church left Jerusalem. And we might say, well, the devil won. The devil did what he set out to do. The enemies did what he set out to do, which was destroy the church. But you guys know the end of the story. In fact, he did not destroy the church. He only served to scatter the church into the known world. He scattered the church all over the empire. Instead of stamping the church out, he only spread the fire. Of course, it wasn't the devil that spread the fire. It was the Holy Spirit. I want you to see something in the, verse, in, in the first 
a couple of verses of Acts chapter 8. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Those that had been scattered went about preaching the word. I want you to pay special attention to that because their world has been changed. The the idea of what made them a church has changed. What made them uh, uh, um, feel safe and secure, everything was changed. But when they were scattered, they did something right. They remembered who they were. And the Holy Spirit went with them. He didn't stay in Jerusalem and say, well, you know, if you ever want me back, you have to come. No, he went with them wherever they went. And the Bible tells us that everyone that was scattered went and preached the word. So what they didn't forget was their mission. They may have, the the context may have changed, the methods may have changed, the area may have changed, but one thing hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit is with us and we've been anointed to preach the gospel. So wherever they went, they preached the word. One of those guys was Philip. He ended up in Samaria and he just began to preach the gospel in Samaria. People got saved, people got healed. Demons were coming out of people. There was a revival in Samaria. Some of you know the end of that story. Part of the end of that story was that God showed up one day. An angel showed up to Philip and said, you know, Philip, I want you to start walking down a road. It's this road. I want you to start heading, heading down this road. The angel didn't tell him what he'd find. The angel didn't tell him how long it would take him to get there. He just said, start walking. You know, a lot of us would wait until God told us what was on the other side of that road or how long we'd need to walk. I mean, the Bible actually says in Acts 8 that this is a desert road. This is not a road you want to get caught on. This is a road where there might be some bad guys sitting out there. there, There's not a gas station to stop at. But he went walking down that road. And when he went walking down that road, all of a sudden the voice of the Spirit, as as a a man was passing by uh, in a chariot, the voice of the Spirit said, catch that chariot. And so Philip began to run. Can you imagine being on a road that was very likely had bandits and, and, and robbers on it? And can you imagine all of a sudden someone starts running after your chariot? That might make you nervous. Uh, if I was Philip, I, I would really want a few, uh, few separate confirmations that this was God. I mean, he's walking down the road and all of a sudden God says, catch the chariot. I mean, when he first started walking, an angel showed up. But this time it's not an angel. It's just the spirit speaking to him. Catch the chariot. Can you imagine yourself in, the, in a parking lot, running and catching a car, knocking on the window and saying, what are you reading? Can you imagine doing that? No. I mean, a lot of us would be very intimidated by that. But I'll tell you, I've done things like that when God has led me. I'm sure maybe some of you have too. And we're moving into a day where the church has to be so in tune with the Spirit that we're not looking for the way we've done it. We're looking for where He's leading us next because He is making a way for the greatest revival we've ever seen. And more than revival, I want to put another word in front of you because revival is when the church gets stirred up. Revival is when God brings life to his church. And I want that. I want the church to be revived, to be brought to life, to be woken up. I believe some of that has already begun. But there's another word we need to pay attention to. And it's the word awakening. 
See, revival is for the church, but awakening, that's for the, that's for the culture around us. When there's revival, the church gets stirred up. When there's awakening, the, the culture and the society that doesn't know God, their eyes are open. They get to know God. They begin to see what God is doing. I want revival, but I want awakening. And awakening doesn't happen unless the church begins to step into places they're not normally comfortable going into. Philip went and caught this chariot. And you know, some of you know the story. The man said, I've been reading this chapter in Isaiah. Who's he talking about? And Philip explained to him that this prophecy in Isaiah 53 was speaking of Jesus. And he told him the gospel. And that man got baptized in water right on the side of the road. And immediately after he was baptized, he began to praise God. And Philip was snatched out of thin air. Can you imagine? Snatched out of thin air. Disappeared. This is not science fiction. This is not fantasy. History. This happened. And so Philip gets snatched out. I remember uh, uh, me and Brent, Brent and I, we used to say, Lord, hey, is that something that could happen? Um, uh, we, we, one time we were driving in the car and we, I remember Brent saying to me, hey, maybe we could just pray and see if God would translate us. So we did. Well, it didn't happen. But <laughs> we thought, wouldn't it be cool to, 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 to get snapped up from one place and find yourself in another place? Well, that's what happened to Philip. But see, the way I used to see it was that Philip... Um, was, was, was teleported. Was, God took him to another place to save him some time. I mean, you went walking all that way, Philip, so I'm going to do you a favor. You did me a favor, now I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going I'm to give you an express lift home. But you know what the Bible says? It says that Philip found himself at Azotus. We know it today as Ashdod. He finds himself at Azotus, and I'm sure he's going to ask, like, hey guys, where am I? You know, what city am I in? And the Bible says he found, his way to Azo- he found himself at Azotus and he had to go all the way to Caesarea. Guys, that's 94 kilometers away. God did not give him a lift for convenience. But the Bible says that Philip found himself at Azotus. He headed towards Caesarea and every village on the way, he stopped and preached the gospel because Philip knew his mission was to preach the gospel. So it didn't matter where he found himself. It didn't matter what had changed. He never lost sight of the mission. And so God did not translate Philip. God didn't drop Philip off for convenience. God dropped him off for mission. Guys, I I, I want us to stop expecting God. I want us to stop looking to God to, to, to just, you know, make it a little bit more convenient. I'm not interested in convenient. I want revival. I want awakening. So stop asking for convenience and start asking for mission. Start asking for God to move because when God moves, it's not convenient. But convenient has never been the goal. It's never the goal of life. God's kingdom God's kingdom is what we set in front of us and we seek it. We seek it first. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you seek that, hey, guys, it's like anything. Listen, our family, we love to go to Disney World. There's nothing convenient about going to Disney World. It's a pain to get there. It's it costs money to get there. That's why you don't get to go very often. And, and once you're there, you know, you got, there's a lot you have to do. You stand in lines and do all these things. But you know what? We do it because we like it. We want to be there. Well, I, I, as, as much as we like Disney World, we love the kingdom of God. I would give up Disney World any day of the week to see God move in a great way. I'm not looking for convenience. I'm looking for revival. I'm looking for awakening. And Philip, 
When he was dropped off, he didn't lose sight of his mission. I don't know what's changed here, but I'll tell you what hasn't changed. My mission is to preach the gospel. When those believers were scattered, they just went about preaching the word. Uh, situation may have changed, but their mission hadn't. The Lord has laid it on my heart that, and I know many of you too have heard this confirmed, that we need to get back to the foundations of what church is. Because church will look different throughout these next few years. There will be times where it looks the same, and there will be times where we, uh, we have to shift to address the move of God, to, to, to facilitate what God is doing. We may have to do something different here. We may have to move here. We may have to adapt here. And the important thing is that we don't forget what church is. Church is the body of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. In fact, I want to read that to you today. As we begin to close, I want you to hear this. And I want you to remember what church is. We're going to dig into this in the next few weeks. We're going to go back and say, what is church? Because if you know what church is, then no matter what changes around you, we'll be able to be the church. Not go to church, not have church, be the church. And yes, we're going to assemble together. Yes, we're going to work together. Yes, we're going to fight together. Yes, we are going to sing together. But all of that, all of that comes under the banner of who we are in Christ, who He is, and when we know who He is, we know who we are. We are His body. And no matter what changes around us, and things will change. You think this is the big thing this decade? You think this is the big thing this century? There will be other things that happen. But if the church knows who she is, if the church knows who they are, then they will not be shaken. Here's what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 3, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on, in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through Christ, through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to grasp, to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory, where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Do you see when he says, when you understand who Christ is, then you begin to live different and walk different towards one another. Being diligent, listen to this, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have to fight to stay connected. We have to fight to be in unity. Not the unity that says, well, we'll just compromise to get along. No, the unity that says it's the Spirit. We want to be unified with Him. And when we're unified with Him, we're going to be unified with each other. Fight to stay connected. Fight to stay unified. He says this, There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he talks, he, listen to this. When he ascended on high, it says, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he may fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, I'm going to have to preach about that. We have and we will again. But I actually want to let those words just sink into you. Because when those words sink into you, you're going to know something on the inside of you by the Spirit of God that no matter what changes, you'll know that we are the body of Christ. We are meant to be held together, fitted together in love. We are meant to fight for unity. We are meant to fight for the kingdom of God. We are meant to move with the head, giving the orders and and the body parts working together. I'm just a part. You're just a part. But together... We carry the fullness of Christ to a world that needs it. The Bible says we are, he is the head and we are the body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Jesus wants to fill the world with himself and he's going to do it through his church. Are you ready to discover what church looks like when everything else changes? Are you ready to look like, to understand what what Jesus' body is going to look like in the future, even when everything else is different? I am. And we're going to dig into that together over the next few weeks. But I want you to press in. If you haven't connected, connect. If you, haven't, if you feel like you've drifted in your relationship with God, now is not the time to drift. Now is the time to press in. Because you know what? The Spirit of God is filling His body. The Spirit of God is leading us into really, really amazing places. If we're willing, we'll walk into the, into the unknown with the one we know. You know, the Bible says Abraham by faith set out not knowing where he was going, not knowing where he was going, but he knew that God had prepared a place for him. I want you to know we may not know where we're going, but we know who we're going with. And so he is preparing us for a great season. And I want you to dig in. I want you to press in as we discover what church looks like over these next few weeks. I'm thankful that God called you to our body. I'm thankful that that you are uh, committed to that. Just the fact that you're here this morning means that you made a decision when it may not have been convenient, though you may not have the the comfort of of just showing up to a building. You you took a time out of your day to say, I'm going to gather, I'm going to assemble with believers, and we're going to worship God. We're going to hear his word together. You know, families go through changes all the time. You move, move into new houses, move to new cities, 
Dad gets a new job, mom starts working here. New kids are born, new kids move away. People eventually die, you know, families change and they go through a lot of changes. But you know, every change they go to, they move to a new house, they move to a new city, they, they, they have changes in their family, changes in their structure, people get married and, and the family gets attitude. Nobody has to tell them to become a family again. Nobody has to tell you to keep connected. You just know because you're family. When someone moves, you stay connected. When, when we all move to a different city or move to a different house or somebody gets a new job or somebody gets married, we stay connected. Because it's ingrained in your DNA that that's what family is. When in your spiritual DNA, when you were born again, God puts something in you that says, 1 Corinthians 12 says it, I can't say I don't need these people and I can't say they don't need me. Something in your DNA says I need Jesus. And something in your DNA says, and I need his body. I need his people. Let's fight for this. It's worth it. And let's see the great harvest, the great revival and the great awakening of these last days that is upon us.